the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The other investment professional. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Let's get over here. Can't hear anything. I can't hear anything. Oh, I, I can't hear anything. Testing, 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 testing. Nope, 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 nope. Testing, testing. I am? Wow. Well, that was interesting. <laughs> this is uh, Bill Bullington. I'm not even sure. Now I can hear it. The, uh, there we go. <laughs> A little technical difficulty there to start the show out with. That's, yeah, that's okay. Stuff happens. <laughs> Especially when you're uh, in financial markets. That's... Uh, not that that has anything to do with this, but hey, like the guy said, this is Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon, and you can go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com, if you would like to reach out to us uh, to talk about anything that, that we've talked about. We kind of specialize in, in retirement income planning, and I'm extremely, um, oh, I guess I'm extremely biased, I, I would say, to retirement planning. It's, I think it's the most important thing that anybody can do. Um, some people, fortunately, it's not very difficult because you know they have a lot of money, a lot of investments, and they don't have a high need for income. Those are easy. Those are few and far between. I can tell you that for sure. So don't feel bad. And people are coming up to retirement. Uh, it's tough. You know, when you're, when you're start, starting to think about it, there's a, a rule out there. You may have heard of about it. It's called the 4% rule. And the 4% rule, it basically says when you retire, take your assets, spend, plan on spending 4% of it. And a lot of people are going, well, why so low? Because the stock market has a long-term average return much higher than that. Yeah, but the stock market goes up and down and will go down 50% or more at some point in time. Or at least it has you know, several times during my lifetime. And if that happens to you and you're taking out much more than 4% or 4% plus the inflation rate whenever from whenever you started, we'll go over that in just a couple seconds. 
you, you could run into real problems, especially today. Interest rates are unbelievably low. When they did that 4% rule, the interest rates, well, for most of the time that they ran the 4% rule over for the testing, 4% was, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, bonds were paying a lot more than they are today. They're paying, you know, one and a half. Uh, CDs are paying like one. So that is a really, really tough thing to do to try and have interest rates this low and trying to maintain a, a level of income that is going to sustain you through 20 or 30 years of retirement. That's an, that's an incredibly difficult task. So um, you know, we'll be talking about this going on uh, all the time, actually. It's it's really the one thing I've I've kind of strived for my whole career trying to get ready for that day when you want to do something other than what you're doing now. Um, you know, my, my goal is to have enough money to be able to work at Lowe's because, <laughs> uh, I just like that store a lot <laughs> and, and I'll spend everything that I make working there in the store. So yeah, it's going to take a lot of money to be able to do that. It takes a lot of money to be able to replace a, uh, just regular income. When you think about it, trying to generate a thousand dollars a year, if you've got a one percent CD, it takes you a hundred thousand bucks. And by the way, you're going to have to pay taxes on that. So, quite frankly, you'd actually have to have more than a hundred thousand, probably about one hundred twenty-five thousand, just to generate a thousand dollars. If you're going to do it in CDs, that's why we've over the last few months you've heard me start to talk about alternatives to that, like a fixed indexed annuity. That's a relatively new. That hasn't been around for all that long. Just a few years now. And it's a good option for an awful lot of people. And we've been talking about it a lot. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in today's show. But it offers a guaranteed return. The guarantee is only as strong as the company that's making the guarantee. But it offers a, a guaranteed level of income based on your age and the amount of money that you put into it. And you'll be really hard-pressed in today's environment to be able to match those rates on most of the companies that offer them. They're actually pretty good. So, in fact, uh, if you want to email me, go to my website, and I can email you back a link that will show you one of the products I like to use. It's uh, from Nationwide. Why? Because Nationwide is a strong company and been around for a very long time. And I really like the product. So... It's, uh, I'll send you that information. You can go on there. You can put your age, what kind of uh, income you'd like to have. It'll tell you how much money you need to generate that. You can put the money that you have. It'll tell you how much, you know, instead of saying like, I want $10,000 a year, you could put in, I have a hundred thousand to invest or 50,000, whatever it is. And it'll tell you how much income that you could get. And that's a, uh, that's a pretty good deal. And I'm surprised that I'm actually talking about these types of products because I really, didn't anticipate that interest rates would get as low as they are and that they would stay as low as they are. And you have a pandemic, which actually extends the low rates in interest policies for a while. And now uh, why we'll, we'll cover that later, but trying to generate an income that is it. That's rough. That's really rough right now. And these are really, they're, they're good options to consider. There's, there are others. There are literally thousands of types of annuities. Thousands. I'm not kidding. Uh, people, I know half the people that hear this think that I'm kid, that I'm not being forthright or not forthcoming. Oh, there can't be that many. I'm telling you. 
there are more annuities than there are models of cars that have been produced. Been produced. I can't even speak today. The uh, since Henry Ford started rolling out the Model A's, there are literally more annuities than there are models of cars. Then they when they first started running rolling out cars. You know how many car models there have been over that time period. Literally, I have sixty seven thousand in my database. Mine's not comprehensive. <laughs> I figured at that point, I'm not trying any of them. But, uh, and oftentimes the differences may not be that big, but you need to look into it, see what it is. And uh, if you've never done it before, good luck. Uh, it, it takes a while to try to understand what they're talking about. They created an entire language, by the way, for these things. So you have to uh, get that, but that, you know, that's what keeps me employed. All the changes that they keep making, uh, financial markets, yeah, the rules, taxes. Um, can you do this with an IRA? Can you do it? every year? Roughly fifteen percent of the rules in our industry change. So what does that mean? Well, if you're changing fifteen percent a year over a five-year time period, they've all changed. So every five years, <laughs> by the way, it's a lot easier to catch, to keep up if you're just doing the 15%. You don't want to have to learn the whole thing all over again because that, that can take a much longer time period. But so it's, it's, it's interesting. And I, and I thought I'd talk a little bit today that about the 4% withdrawal rate. That was a, uh, something that's come up many, many, many times. And this was what has been recommended for a long time by financial planning, college for financial planning. Uh, a bunch of people out there and they're not saying this is what everybody should do because your situation is going to be different. That's the other thing. Everybody's situation is a little bit different. Everybody has a slightly different take on financial markets. That's what creates a market, differing opinions. Everybody has different uh, family backgrounds. Somebody that's single, it's a lot easier than somebody who's married and has kids or can be. And so there are a lot of options that you have to consider. And uh, one of the uh, things I like about the 4% rule is it's kind of, you know, I didn't use it before because up until the past 10 years, actually probably the past six years, you really didn't need it that much. There were asset classes out there that were paying a lot more than they are today. And uh, so you could actually take a little bit more than that out. The, um, uh, um, recommended from pension associations, I get a lot of their magazines, was somewhere between 4 and 6%. That was their recommendation. Everybody now is coming back to saying, hey, yeah, 4%, that's probably about it. <laughs> it's probably about all we want to do is 4%. So what does that mean? If you got a million dollars, that's 40,000 bucks. A million dollars to produce 40,000 a year in income if you're going to take out 4%. And, and the first uh, response or reaction to that's normally why only four percent? Well, uh, you're going to have to increase that over time. It's going to have to go up for inflation. You're going to have to increase the amount that you're taking over time for inflation. Now, some of these uh, fixed index products—that's what's attractive about them. Depending on your age, they're willing to guarantee a withdrawal rate that's higher than four percent in the vast majority of cases. Depends on how old you are. But in the vast majority of cases, they're, they're, they're willing to guarantee a rate of return that the average investor, according to Dalbar, has not earned on their investments over the past 20 years. So what you're doing is you're shifting a lot of that risk from your management over to the management of an insurance company. 
And they're going to take that. They're going to manage the money. They're going to manage the payout. And if you live longer than the money does, they'll keep paying. That's one of the great things about these products. They'll keep paying. Now, assuming that, you know, again, they have to stay in business. So you want to be really careful which insurance companies you're uh, dealing with. Some of them, we used to call it buying the business. There are some riskier companies that would guarantee a higher rate in an effort to get business because their credit ratings weren't quite as high. So you got to be careful about that. Be really careful about that. Anyway, I think that's, a, again, if you'd like to, there's a website out there. Nationwide's got it. You can email me. I'll email you the the, the link. I never hound anybody, believe me. The uh, uh, So if we send it back to you, I'll wait for you to contact me again if you have more questions about it. But you can go on there and you can put your age in there and, and the amount of income you'd like to have, or you can put the amount of money you're thinking about investing, and it'll tell you, it'll show you a schedule of payments that you could get. And and it's really good. I I mean, today, it's really good. Now, if CDs were paying 5 or 6%, we wouldn't be having these conversations. If CDs were paying 5 or 6%, I'd say, you know what? We're going to use those CDs for a big chunk or government bonds because they, they would be paying right around the same. Or I could, at least I could find some that were. And that's the, uh, that's the deal. That's what we would use for fixed income. But since they're not, paying five or six percent um this makes a good viable alternative i think for an awful lot of people especially if you're getting close to retirement this is one of the things that really bothers me about this stock market Uh, i felt a lot more comfortable last march than i do now you know when the market was crashing because for the first time in in several years most of the underlying indexes were undervalued by more than a little bit S and P went down to right about where it should have been, you know, had it not ran up like crazy the, the prior two years. Now that it's at a new all time high, it's not undervalued anymore. You know, you look at the S and P five hundred; it's not undervalued. Be incredibly difficult to make the the. Uh, well, I, I guess it depends on how long you're looking at. If you're looking out ten years from now, it's probably undervalued. If you're looking out over the next two to three years, or any any time a period before that ten year time period. There's a risk there that market could go sideways. When I say sideways, that means up and down a lot and maybe not make a whole lot of progress because of the level of the valuations, because of the price level that they're selling for today. And if we're ever able to do another seminar, I would love to show you the math behind that because the math, I think, speaks louder than words. And then I could show you exactly why I'm talking about it. Am I abandoning the stock market? Heck no. I mean, I get 70% of my money in the stock market. Yeah, but why isn't it 80? Uh, that's the question. See, for me, I'm, I'm willing to put up with more fluctuation. I don't care. If my 70 got cut in half, I'd be down 35%. It's not the end of the world. And uh, in fact, I would take that the fixed income that I have and I would add to the stock side, which I think is a really good idea until you get super close to retirement or when you are actually retired. You probably want more on the fixed side than you do on the stock side, or at least as much. Maybe 60-40, 65-35, that would be a split between stocks and bonds or stocks and fixed income. I think I'm going to have to preface all this with fixed income now because we're we're adding the fixed index annuities to that lineup because of the fixed portion. 
And uh, when I look at these, you know, a lot of these are, uh, 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 they're kind of promoted as well. You're going to get these investments and if the investments do better than the fixed accounts. And that's true. If the investments do better than the fixed accounts, you'll get the higher the two returns. So you could get a bump up in your income ex- at some point in time if the investments grew faster than the amount that you were taking out, taking it out by. That's a possibility. Is it likely? I don't know. I don't think so. Not in those products because I think their payout's too high. I think they're willing to guarantee something much too high. There's another option now. There's another option that will guarantee an income that can and most likely at some point in time, you know, if, if history repeats itself over the next 20 years like it has over the last 20 years, and by the way, the last 20 years had one of the worst declines ever that the stock market's ever had. So when I say if it does as well in the next 20 as the last 20, remember, it's, I'm including that in there too. So it's not pie in the sky. If it does as well over the next 20 years, that income level that's lower to start out with can go up, can actually rise. That's why it's lower to start out with because it can rise and it has a better chance of rising than the fixed products do. So I, I think this, it's kind of exciting. Um, it's a pain. Let me tell you something. It is really a pain to go through the application process. You should see what that's like. I have to get on the phone. <laughs> and the uh, reason I'm laughing is, you know, I've probably done, I don't even know how many of these, probably a dozen. And uh, they're long. I mean, it takes like 35 minutes. A lot longer than this segment of my radio show, <laughs> which is just about over. So, but I will be right back. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. And we're back. Hey, you're listening to Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. You can find me on my website too. It's bullingtoncapital.com. If you have a question that you'd like to ask, you know, feel free to give us a call. I was just uh, listening to one of the advertisers during the show there talking about how much uh, fees cost. Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, uh, you know, there you can find that right on the internet. <laughs> I mean, that's everywhere. <laughs> but I get it. You know, it, it's okay. The um, it sounds interesting. Sounds like a nice guy. And uh, um, yeah, the. Uh, Fees, by the way, when you see the returns of a uh, mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund, it's always net of fees. So they're not allowed to do the. They're not allowed to show you what it did before they charge the fee, and then you know come back that out later. They used to do stuff like that. They changed those rules quite a, quite a long time ago. Uh, and uh, so anyway, it's a, might be good to know. Might save you a little bit of, of time and aggravation, but. Uh, yeah, and that's one of the reasons that I had actually stayed away from fixed index annuities for so long because the internal expenses were really high. And I'm looking at that going, yeah, that's, that's going to be really tough for those investments to do well. And then they jacked up the rates, the guaranteed rates, so that I'm thinking, yeah, but now I don't care. You know, if, if the guaranteed rate is high enough, I don't really care what's being charged because I'm not going to put all my money in it. Um, now, if I were close to retirement, I'd probably consider putting a whole lot more just to guarantee, you know, what my income level is going to be. And again, you know what? It's only as good as the insurance company. You want to pick good ones. 
uh, in um, ones that are at least A plus rated by um, AM Best. That's you know, an insurance company rating company out there. Uh, they rate a lot of insurance companies. And uh, Standard Poor's, Moody's, you want at least an A plus rated. So that being said, there's another product that's kind of similar, uh, but it's got a lot of differences. Same time, save a little money on taxes. Well, instead of putting that into a brokerage account and into mutual funds, you could use the investment only annuity. That's the one we we're just talking about. It's tax deferred. It kind of works like a little bit like a non-deductible IRA. You put money in it. You get the choice of all these funds. It's tax deferred. You don't pay taxes until you take money out. If you do take money out before 59 and a half, you're going to get a penalty because these are considered for retirement uses, uh, not for saving up for a boat or a house or, you know, college. So you want to make sure that you got that money set aside just for that specific reason. And, and then you can put as much as you want. There's no limit. You can have as much as you want in there. If you are retired, let's say you're, you're at that retirement age or you're approaching retirement and you've got a bunch of money in some taxable mutual funds. And over the past couple of years, you've gotten some surprises by some uh, unexpected capital gains because the market sold off. A bunch of people sold their stuff and you got capital gains. And you hadn't even made any money over that year. Everybody loves that, right? Now, I'm going to tell a little tale on you here. This is a true one. When uh, in 1987, Peter Lynch was running the Magellan Fund. Got that big one-day drop of 20%. Well, the market had already peaked in August. It was already down 15% before that big one-day drop. Okay, So you get this massive drop in a fairly short time period. Now, if you had invested in that fund earlier in the year, at the end of the year, it had climbed back and it was only down 2%, but you got a huge capital gain because people panicked, sold their shares, pulled the money out of the fund, and you got left holding the bag. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> that's, uh, that's one of the things I like about exchange-traded funds. That more, more than likely is not going to happen because the vast majority of those, you don't have to, for the vast majority, you know, you got to check with your, tax planner and your investment advisor on which ones have this and which ones don't. But for the vast majority, you don't actually pay taxes until you sell the fund, until you sell shares of the fund. So as long as you hang on to it, you're able to defer the taxes. Woohoo! That's a big deal, by the way. But let's say you just needed to rebalance your portfolio because one of them's up a lot and now it's overpriced. How do you know? Well, that's a future show. But if it's up a lot and it's overpriced... And you need to make take some uh, money and redistribute it into some of the other investments that you have. That's called rebalancing. Okay. You're going to pay taxes on that. And it might not be, you may want to take a look at how much in taxes before you do that and decide, do you want to wait for the next year, whatever. It makes it really complicated. Okay. Inside an investment, only annuity, you don't worry about it. There's no 1099 when you rebalance your portfolio. How cool is that? If you're getting taxed on your social security benefits you may be able to defer enough and you've got a lot of taxable investments you may be able to defer those taxes and it may even be enough to get you in a lower tax bracket where your social security is not getting taxed i notice that emphasis on the word may <laughs> that's not a given you have to check that out so you can always call me on that and i'll be glad to talk to you about it and uh i got a enrolled agent on retainer <laughs> So when I get questions that uh, I can't answer, and actually there are a lot of questions that legally I'm not supposed to answer because I don't have a tax preparer's license. 
Now, that's something that every compliance officer at every firm in the country should be, uh, should keep them up at night. <laughs> because I know the financial advisors out there are giving tax advice and they don't have licenses for that. You, literally, you're supposed to have a license to do that. You know how I know that? Because I had a supervisory license, a uh, Series 24. I also had a Series 9 and a 10, and a 3 and a 7, and a 63 and a 65. I'm the only idiot dumb enough I know to take all those tests. <laughs> the, uh, so that's how I know that, by the way. Yeah, you, there are a lot of things that you just can't do. And although you'd like to, and people ask all the time, and I know there are a lot of advisors out there who are giving tax advice that don't, you know, you've got to have that certificate. And, uh, and if you don't have the certificate, you've got to do what we do. And you have to tell them, listen, here's how I think this works, and I'm glad to discuss things with you. Here's how this works, but you're really going to have to talk to a t- licensed tax advisor to, to confirm that, okay? Because I can't be responsible for giving tax advice. And I'm not about to go to school to start to learn to do taxes. I, you know, I just don't want to. I have enough knowledge about it to know how to keep myself out of trouble. <laughs> and I have enough experience with other people to know when you need to talk to a tax advisor and what you need to say to them. You know, that's it. And that's kind of a big deal. And that, that's where we are today, by the way. Today is, is truly an age of specialization. I mean, truly. If you are, are if you're going to try to do your own taxes and you're going to try to do your own uh, investing, you're going to try to shop for the best mortgage, the best credit card savings account. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, I hope you're retired and have nothing else to do. No, the uh, but because if you have a family, you're in trouble. <laughs> it's it's a lot. Our industry just it's mind boggling. The, the just the paperwork that they've created. As, as just, I mean, it's killing us. Everybody, you know, everybody's got compliance people. Anyway, that's, that's not helping anybody. <laughs> so we're, we started off the show talking about fixed index annuities. If, you, if you'd like to talk about that or you need that link that you'd like to go, um, this is one that Nationwide's got. Um, I like it a lot. I use it a lot. I'd be glad to send that to you. It is an insurance product. The investment only is called a variable annuity. It, it is actually a securities product. That's a, because it only has mutual funds in it. Um, there are no fixed accounts in there. There are short-term bond funds, short-term government bond funds, but there are no fixed accounts in it. So they're two entirely different things. If you'd like to talk about it, if you think it sounds interesting, if you think if you're tired of paying taxes on your Social Security and you're wondering, if is there something you can do about that? There might be. And I'll get my enrolled agent on the phone and uh, we'll t- talk about your situation and Figure out if there's something that you can do, but that that's pretty cool. Now, if you take money out of that, by the way, if you're if you're under the age of 59 and a half and you take money out of that, you're going to get penalized for early withdrawals. It's kind of like an IRA there. You can take money out uh, systematically to try to avoid the penalty tax, but then a portion of that's going to be taxed, and you won't know what that is until you start doing that. By the way, because the insurance company's got to calculate those numbers and tell you what they are. So there's a lot of stuff there, but it's very useful. The thing I, I guess the key takeaway is that you've got access to all these huge fund families, 350, over 350 funds. It's, it's the lowest expense ratio of its kind in the industry. And, uh, and we manage them, by the way. Um, so you're not on your own there. And if that works, if you're getting taxed on your Social Security, if you just like to get your 
uh, or maybe you got a uh, a big sale of a of something or other, even a business, and you've got this taxable money in in this brokerage account, and you'd like to defer the taxes on that, so that when this other income comes in, that one time sale of something, that you, it doesn't bump your tax bracket up. That would be a night. Nice, that'd be kind of cool. And I'm definitely going to get my enrolled agent involved in, <laughs> in that one. So um, anyway, just pretty pretty interesting the way where we are today. And the reason I think both of these things make so much sense today, why do they make so much more sense today than they did a year or two or three or four years ago? Well, because the stock market valuations weren't nearly as high as they are now. So valuation, that's not, we're not at panic level. Don't, don't get me wrong. But I could see a four or five year period where the returns were either flat or negative. You know, I could, that could happen. And if it doesn't happen, then we're going to go from slightly overvalued to really overvalued. And that never ends well. <laughs> so we're not there yet. Don't worry about it. You've still got time, but I would come in. I would review your strategies. Take a look at where you are. You know, age has a lot to do with this. People are getting close to age of 65 or, you know, even 60. You do not want another 10-year period with negative returns in the stock market. You don't want a five-year period with negative returns in the stock market that are, that would have that big of an impact on you because that could happen. And uh, ask anybody who retired in March of 2000, right before the S&P went down 50%, a little bit over 50%. NASDAQ went down more than that. Small mid-caps went down more than that. International emerging markets went down more than that. And then when they recovered, finally... November of 2007, it's where the S&P peaked, finally had recovered. It goes down 57% over the next two years. So you've gone nine years and you're down. Well, if you had reinvested the dividends, you wouldn't be down 57%. You'd only be down around 45 or so. That makes you feel a lot better, right? So uh, yeah. you've got a, uh, you got a situation that could be similar to that just because of the way valuations are. And I'd hate to see people approaching retirement have to put off retirement for five or 10 years and to have to go through all that stress. That is not, I don't want to go through that again. <laughs> Absolutely not. I guess if you added up everything I've gotten fixed income now, it's actually about 45%. That, that's actually the highest level I've ever had. Ever. I'm also older than I've ever been, ever. <laughs> so there's the, uh, and if I were 40, uh, you know, I'd be same allocation I had when I was 40, like 70, 30, 80, 20, mostly 80, 20, actually. But that means 80% stock, 20% bonds. But I was in my 40s. You know, I had a lot of time to make up. And by the way, if you're in your 40s, doesn't mean you want to see your investments go down <laughs> like a rock. Like that, so you still have to be careful, diversify, do all the other good things that every investment advisor recommends to their clients, and, and hardly anybody follows. <laughs> yeah, and it's tough. It is hard. And if investing were easy, my my career it wouldn't exist. It wouldn't exist if this were as easy as just looking up the the best performing funds, slapping your money in there, and forgetting about it. You know, hey, believe me, I would much rather be doing something. Other than what I'm doing now, uh, if it worked that way, you know, if that's the way that it worked, then that, that's what I would 
like to do. But you know, there's there's a lot of hope there. The hope, the good side of this, by the way, if you are in your 40s, you are in your 50s, there's a, the things that have come into fruition, come into being, that were accelerated by a decade. You can thank the coronavirus for that. They made digital technology uh, explode. You can't get semiconductors. Did you hear? Remember, you know how I've been talking about semiconductors for the last four and a half years? Almost five years now? Did you hear what Ford said lately? Ford said they were going to have to slow down the production and maybe lay off a whole bunch of people. And, and I think GM was chiming in on this here recently because they can't get enough semiconductors. That's a little nuts. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned because I'll be right back. that song that's a great song rise up so anyway on the brighter side i know i probably scared some people saying you know stocks are a little overvalued not all stocks are overpriced it's just when you look at the bigger ones the ones that make up most of the indices uh it's tougher it's getting tougher to find really good bargains um but they're still out there they are actually still out there so that makes me feel a whole lot better and in fact for the for the most uh i guess shorter term outlook i feel a whole lot better because the i I really believe that uh, a lot of the categories that's not what i believe i'm actually seeing this i run these scans every day the same one mike seager runs for look out for the bull website he's running that by the way mike seager's a good kid just graduated from college and he runs it every day publishes the list every day uh reliably these are stocks for people who want to learn how to trade. Now listen, trading is not a bad thing. Gambling is. Trading and gambling are not the same. A professional trader, professional trader, and you can be, anybody can become a professional trader, by the way. You just have to learn how to manage your risk. That's all you got to do. And uh, in fact, it's even written out. It's called the 1% rule. It's on the Bullington Capital website. I paid $5,000. For a seminar back in the mid-90s. You know how much that one money would be worth today? <laughs> For somebody to teach that one rule. <laughs> of course, to make it worth 5000 bucks, they had to, to take an entire weekend to get to that one article that I wrote. <laughs> I kept raising my hand and going, excuse me. <laughs> Couldn't you just say that it would be like this? And the guy that was running said, well, well yeah, you could say that. <laughs> That went on and on <laughs> for three days. People were just going, oh, my God, when is this guy going to shut up? <laughs> but the uh, anyway, so, 
So it's a lot cheaper than 5000 bucks, that's for sure. And uh, it's called the 1% rule, and that's actually that will be the determining factor whether or not you make money in stocks as a trader. And trading is not a bad word. It used to be, but that's because people would trade and they didn't have a plan. Now, there are three types of investors. Okay, One of them is a trader. One of them is a value investor. That's kind of like Warren Buffett. That's fine. It's got its own challenges. We'll cover those in a future show. And the other is a gambler. That's somebody who doesn't know how to value a company and doesn't have any rules in place to trade. They just wing it. <laughs> the chances of that being successful in the long run are extremely remote. I can't tell you how many people I talk to who put a substantial amount of their life savings into one company, thought they hit the jackpot, and they did for a while, sometimes for years, and then the stock collapsed and brought them back down to where they're wondering if they're going to have enough money to live on in retirement. What What's really heartbreaking about that is when they come to me, hoping that I'll be able to duplicate what they did. In uh, in most cases, I won't take that kind of risk. The kind of risk that they took, by the way, when they took it, they were you know a dec you know a decade or more younger than when they came in after it had collapsed. You know, stocks are kind of like people. Some of them are going to live a long time, and some of them not so much. And that the just the vast majority are unpredictable. And when you're looking out over a five or a ten year time period, I mean, I could I could look at a lot of the stocks that I own right now. Discover Financial Service is a good one. You know, we talked about that a lot on this show. The uh, it came up on one of my momentum scans, and I looked at it and going, no, that's actually an investment. That's kind of a, a Warren Buffett type of, of investment. Yeah, but they got to compete against Visa and Mastercard. Uh, yeah, Visa and Mastercard have eighty five percent of the market. Where are they going to go? And who, who would you rather? Bet on to take away market share. Somebody who's already got 85% of the market. <laughs> the um, And yeah, their costs probably lower. Probably have a little bit more money, but not that much. Not in today. Not the way the, the cost of technology drops like a rock you know, every six months. So I'm looking at it and I'm going, hey, okay, all right. That's an investment. I know how much, I know what they do, by the way. I know how much money they've made. I know what their profit margins are. I know what Visa, MasterCard's profit margins are. I know what a bunch of other credit card companies' profit margins are. They do very similar things. Not all their businesses are completely identical. And uh, so that's actually, that was a, a trade that turned out to be an investment. I looked at it and go, you know what? I'm going to put this in my investment portfolio. Forget the trading stuff. I don't want to trade it. Uh, a trading is something like Tesla was a trade for me and, and it was a really good stock for me. It's, it's done very well. I've been out of it for an incredibly long time. Why? Because it was a trade. It wasn't an investment and I did not get that confused. Most people that don't, if, and if you don't know the difference between trading and investing, then you're a gambler. You don't know and you're playing anyway. That's my definition of a gambler. You don't know how to put a value on a stock, and it's not that hard. We'll cover it in future shows. I've got some. I'm been, I've been writing again, so it's not that hard to come up with a ballpark estimate of what something, a, a range of prices that a company should normally sell for. Okay, it's not that difficult to do. What is difficult is sticking to it when it's crashing. That's hard. Okay. Uh, almost as hard as that is when it goes up, and now it's about fifty percent ahead of where it should be, and you should be letting it go. That's hard. Why? Because it went up 50%, sometimes 100 or 
higher than it should have, and you're still hanging on to it. Okay, that's a, that that's hard because that's probably not going to end up that well. But the, uh, the the part that seems easy is, hey, I heard about X Y Z stock and it's really on the move. Let let's buy some shares. Really, what do they do? Uh, I don't. <laughs> uh, well, GameStop makes video games. Uh, no, they sell video games. <laughs> <laughs> Big difference yeah, in the profitability. By the way, GameStop, a huge chunk of their revenue comes from being this, the first largest distributor for uh, ATT Mobile. Did you know that? <laughs> Most people did not know that. It was a huge part of their uh, their business. It's not, and the profit margins are really tiny in that space. So it's, uh, anyway, the people that are investing in, they're not investing. They're not investors. They're gamblers. They have no idea how to calculate what the risk they're taking is. They don't know. And if you don't know what kind of risk you're taking, you're gambling. Now, when I put a position on, it has a specific percentage of my account. Why? Because I'm not a gambler. Because I want to try to manage the risk. That's the only thing you have control over in investing. That's one of the reasons we use fixed indexed annuities. Those are fixed. I don't have to worry about that. I'm not going to have to make an adjustment there. It's fixed. That's, I can put that aside. And then concentrate on the other side, which are the investments. Incidentally, you're going to need for inflation. Over, to, You can't, well, I guess if you have enough money, you could put it all in fixed. Actually, if you have enough money, you know, you could probably put it all in a half of 1% money market, you know, if you're that rich. Yeah, but you better have, you know, 100,000 bucks. I'm sorry, you better have $100 million at a half a percent. That would get you about 500000 a year. That would be good, <laughs> but yeah, wouldn't be that big of a return. I would probably do some dividend-paying stocks, and that gets ETFs, in fact. And that's another thing. We're going to talk about that. I, I I did start to finally, after all these years, started. I put up a, a, a YouTube channel. It's not live yet, so I've got just two videos on there, and they're going to be pretty crappy until I get it worked out. You know, I actually I. Maybe pretty crappy for a while. I listen to my show. I'm like, ugh, man. I've been doing this for 30, 20 years, 25 years. <laughs> but at least I'll get, you know, I, I have this information that you need to know. Like Peter Lynch wrote some really good books. They were very entertaining. It gave you some insight into how money is managed. He left out all the numbers. And I know why he did it, because if he put the numbers in there, it would have made it too boring. They wouldn't have been bestsellers. But you as investors, I mean... I would think that you'd want to know that, you know, what did he mean by the price to earnings ratio match the growth rate? What, what did that mean? I'll, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about price to sales ratios. Ken Fisher, one of the largest RAs on the planet. He might be the largest, actually. His father had a huge influence on Warren Buffett. Okay. So he wrote this thing and he talked about price to sales ratio. I've been talking about that forever. He said he didn't expand on it to make it useful. That is the most useful metric I've ever seen or heard of. I did uh, a little bit of research, actually a lot of research, not a little bit, to be able to expand on what he had, that path that he'd opened up. And so for me to look at a company, like when I'm going through my list, okay, I go here, I see great uh, Green Plains. You know, Green Plains makes a bunch of uh, products, ethanol and a and, um, bunch of stuff that, that, it's probably going to be fairly important at some point in time. So the stock comes up on a scan. Its price to sales ratio is 0.24. That's really, really low. 
I've only got about uh, 60 seconds left here. Anyway, uh, let's go to the one that's uh, one of them that I really liked. Actually, there's a ton of them in here. These, by the way, are companies that have not participated as well. They are just recovering to their, a lot of them are, to their new, uh, to new highs, despite the fact that a lot of other indexes have already recovered. And many of them are, are significantly below their all-time highs. That's pretty good. That's what I was talking about when I was talking about companies that uh, are starting to participate that haven't been participating. There are a ton of these names. There were 57 that came up on the scan for the Lookout for the Bull website on Friday. Now, 57 on mine. Now, mine's actually a little more strict. I'm going to talk with Mike and share this with them. It'll cut down the number. But there are still a large number of these companies. And there are a lot of cyclical names. Cyclical names. See, a growth names like a... a Microsoft, but Microsoft's still a growth name. Yeah, Amazon, that's still a growth name. Netflix, that's still a growth name. And I have to apologize because uh, my show is actually over <laughs> and somebody's calling in. Um, you can always reach me on, at, at my website, bullingtoncapital.com. I can uh, give you a call back there. I appreciate everybody listening. My name is Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Have a good week, everybody. Good luck and good investing. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report. Broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.